Welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show with your host, General Contractor Donnie Blanchard. Brought to you by GAF, the world's largest roofing manufacturer. GAF, we protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply, providing contractors, home builders, and many others with superior quality roofing products. So Donnie, I'm looking at my list of predictions for 2022, and I do not see the remnants of a tropical storm rolling through the state of North Carolina in the second week of November. Eh, but it happened. And welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show. Instead of predicting the weather, we're going to talk about your house. The inside, the outside, plumbing, electrical, HVAC, all sorts of things. Roofing, if you need a new roof or need a roof inspection, you can visit Donnie's company, which is SureTopRoofing.com. And today's subject is how to save a lot of money on energy bills. As a matter of fact, if you're building a new house, some of the ideas we're going to give you today could save you $100,000 over the life of a 30-year mortgage. Just in energy bills on your house, six figures. That's coming up in just a minute. Again, hit the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. You can find our links to social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. If you have a question for Donnie, click on Ask the Contractor. We're going to do some of those questions a little bit later in today's show. Also, if you want to listen to past episodes of the Carolina Contractor Show, go to the website. We've got them organized by subject. So if there's something specific you want to learn about or get more information on, when you do that, you can download the podcast, listen to it at your own time. We've got the podcast on a whole bunch of different formats on the i heart radio app you can do it through apple hey i want to throw in there that we were recently published on amazon so we currently are on apple podcast google podcast and iheart radio so now you can simply say hey alexa play the carolina contractor show and i don't know what episode it'll give you but we're on there basically we are everywhere <laughs> all right very interesting topic today and we've talked about ventilation of houses we've yeah. talked about encapsulation but you've got kind of like a lifetime of experience of how you can save a buttload of money. Yes. Maybe buttload's the wrong word, but still, <laughs> when it comes to this, six figures? Right. Are you serious? Absolutely. Well, let's dive into this. Yeah, we um, we titled today's topic as Build Tight, Ventilate Right. And the way this became the subject of today is we talked a lot recently about conductive and convective heat transfer. And I have several colleagues, uh, whether they be inspectors or fellow builders, and the opinions seem to vary that a lot of folks say, hey, man, you're building these houses way too tight nowadays. And um, that may be true in certain situations, but that's where the ventilate right comes into play. And I'll just dive in and say that we're in this era of change. So Energy Star around 10 years ago, maybe 15, uh, was the way to go in terms of building an incredibly efficient house. And that's the little blue star it is. you see on appliances and stuff? It is. Okay. And you don't really see it that much in the building world anymore because – uh, not that it's obsolete, but the energy codes have changed, whereas, you know, structural codes, they change a little here and there, and they tweak those in terms of uh, the strength of lumber because it's grown so much faster. But the energy code is constantly evolving, and the energy code minimum basically surpasses what Energy Star had, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So folks just hmm. aren't going that route for that certification anymore. Um, and there are a lot of municipalities that don't really enforce the energy code, if you go to one of these smaller towns where they have one inspector who is also the plan review guy who also answers the phone in the mornings, you know, that guy may not be president and janitor. Right. Mm -hmm. And you uh, and then you get into some of these uh, municipalities uh, around the bigger cities, Chapel Hill and Raleigh, and they are more forward thinking. They have uh, the education and the training and everything that they like to implement in the way that they do their inspections and the homes are built in their area. But back to what you said about save, you know, upwards of six figures. 
the way I tailored this topic or the connection I tried to make is at 25, if you're buying your first house or building your first house, 25 or 30 years old, and if I told you, hey, you can do a few things or maybe spend three or $4,000 on this house, and I guarantee you that's going to save you $100,000 in 30 years, the lifespan of that mortgage, you know, that's a no-brainer, and people just don't look at it like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, that goes back to the build tight uh, part of this. And explain what you mean by a tight house. A tight house would be, um, we talked about our typical build, and one thing that I'm a big fan of is a two-by-six exterior wall because it gives you 50% more insulation in the envelope of the house. So um, one thing that we do, we, we do spray foam when we build a house, but um, a much cheaper alternative is what's called flash and bat. So when you build a tight house, of course, you want to take you want to cut off the convective heat transfer if you can help it, and um Spray foam is the best way to do that, and the flash on the flash and bat is just one inch of spray foam around the entire perimeter of the house, and as well as when you set the windows, you'll spray foam you know, the sides and the, the top of that, and uh, that just doesn't allow any pressure change from outside to in. So when the wind is constantly putting pressure on your house, it's just going to eliminate the possibility of heat transfer that way. Mm-hmm. Of course, you pack the rest of that 2x6 cavity with a bat, and that all takes care of you know making your house really tight. Another important side note is you want to seal the top and bottom plate. Uh, in framing, the top and bottom plate is the bottom and top 2x4, but in the energy conservation world, the top and bottom plate are basically your uppermost ceiling and your floor of that house. You don't want to have any way for air to pass from a crawl space, which may be more humid, or hot air from the attic. You don't want to have any possibility of that getting pulled into the house. So uh, when I say a tight house, that just means one that's sealed from every protrusion, you know, and then just as much insulation is put in those walls, ceiling, and floor as you can possibly get in there. I built a house, I guess it was about 10 years ago, for an elderly couple, and they wanted everything to be handicap accessible. And this is back when the Energy Star uh, certification was a thing, and Energy Star was just awful expensive. And they were in their 70s already, and they said, hey, we don't really want to put the extra money for the certification. So I basically did a lot of the practices that Energy Star used that were cost-effective, and then I left a lot of the ridiculous stuff that they required out. But this house was the perfect case study because it was around 1,800 square feet, it had an eight-foot ceiling because that's all they wanted, and you know the cubic footage was just perfect for this. But we built the house really tight, and uh, of course we had a system that introduced the fresh air uh, the way it was supposed to. But mm-hmm. we built this house so well, and every T was crossed and every I was dotted to the tune of their electric bill was around forty-five dollars a month, and that was for everything. So wow, no gas on the house, and uh, the reason I mentioned this house is. I was so very proud, and the, and the owner and I just had a great relationship because of this. Duke Energy came out and actually changed his meter out on the outside of the house because they thought there was something wrong with the meter. <laughs> Not only that, they came out and did it again because they thought they put a faulty meter in on the second go-round, and after that, they just realized that you know he had an incredibly uh, inexpensive utility cost. I want to say the utilities were somewhere around $0.25 cents a square foot, and you know we talked about on a past show uh, the average house is around a buck to a buck twenty-five per square foot for all your utilities combined, and they were, you know, just a fraction of that. So the way that relates to saving money, you know, just for a few small upgrades up front between your insulation package, maybe zoning your heating and air system, and just doing a few things that that make a big difference. You know, I, I would just say throwing roundabout numbers out here on a thousand twelve hundred square foot house, you could probably save around a hundred dollars a month. Uh, wow. The more the square footage, the more you save, of course. So two thousand, three thousand square foot. If you're, if you're saving $300 a month, uh, less than what you would be paying if you didn't build this house, uh, tight or efficiently, then, you know, that, that number multiplied out over a 30 year mortgage, that's big money. And, um, the cost of electricity is only going to go up. 
If it's only $100 you save, that $100 may turn into $150 10 years down the road. We need to stress, though, this is for a new build. That's for a new build, but you can retrofit. So, All right. Is it always going to be the same cost-benefit of doing it on a, an existing house, or are there other things to consider? It would be fair to say that if you did a retrofit, you could probably save uh, close to that number, but you can't really retrofit with spray foam, so mm-hmm. you would just have to figure out the best approach to tackle that convective heat transfer you know, from the pressure on the outside of your house. So go ahead and make sure that you have R19 under the house. That's a code minimum, but, you know, with the stack effect, heat always rises. So uh, taking care of that attic insulation is far more important than that. And, of course, we just did a um, a rebuild from a tornado that hit uh, a little bit west of here. And when we did the insulation in their attic, we went ahead and did an R44. R38 is the code minimum. Uh, it is very cheap in terms of hundreds, not thousands, just to go an extra six inches of insulation. And they said that they saw a difference in their utilities immediately. Now, when Suretop Roofing is doing a roof, that's an opportunity for you to inspect an attic because you're basically on top right. of it. Is that a pretty common question when you tell them, hey, while we're here, one of your options is to change the insulation? Right. How do people react to that? Um, we don't really tell them about changing the insulation, but when we do six nails per shingle for our wind warranty, we do generate some debris in the attic, and we make everybody aware that if you have something that's dust-sensitive or sentimental, you need to cover that up with plastic. But we do also mention that after we finish and we're out of there, it's a really good time to get your house up to snuff on the amount of overhead insulation you have. And, again, I'd go with an R44. R38 is is the code minimum, and R38 is wonderful. If you if you don't have very much up there right now, what we see are ceiling joists are typically in an older home 2x6s or 2x8s at the max. They'll fill up that cavity with like an R19, and I believe that code was R30 about 10 years ago. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, most houses are under-insulated overhead. I would say that if you go to the trouble to retrofit your insulation package, the one thing you want to do, and back to the motto, is build tight, ventilate right. You mm-hmm. want to make sure that you don't do all these upgrades to your insulation package and not figure out the best way to do the fresh air intake. You want to bring that fresh air in on your terms. You want to find the right spot. You want to filter that air coming in and even control the rate at which that fresh air is introduced. So uh, the best way to tackle that is to get a heating and air professional out there, and they can look at your current system basically inspect it and you know that should, you should do that anyway in terms of having uh, your system periodically inspected I, I say around twice a year but at least once and uh, it should be a pretty easy thing for an HVAC contractor to go in there figure out what would be the best location for a fresh air intake or if you need one at all and um, to give you an idea what a fresh air intake does you worded it best it's like opening a window and right. I wanted to add as well um, when you get into commercial setting the ventilation is far more important than uh, than it would be on a residential because you have so many more folks occupying the same space than you would just a single-family home. This came straight from the CDC. They said that improving the ventilation will cut down on the transmission of airborne viruses because you're not recycling the same air over mm-hmm. and over. It makes perfect sense. Very important nowadays. Yes, it is. And not just for coronavirus. I, I said this a few shows back, but a lot of these things, when we were talking about changes to the fire code and changes to your HVAC system, especially in a commercial setting, a lot of these things – fall under the category of things we should have done anyway. Right. The copper fixtures. You know, that's a really expensive thing to try to retrofit at one time. But if we start building houses from now on with those features, you have something that can prevent viruses from getting around easier. That's right. And I left something pretty important out. Um, The way that you find out where you need insulation, of course, you could buy a cheap thermal imaging camera, you know, to go on your iPhone Mm -hmm. and you can walk around your house on a really hot or a really cold day. And that should tell the tale. But 
The way that they test houses for air changes per hour is by doing a blower door test, and you would contact an energy auditor. You could buy your own blower door if you wanted to do it for you and your family, but Mm -hmm. they're not that expensive. But an energy auditor would would be the best option, and they come in, and basically they cut off all the supplies and the returns in your home, and they put something in your doorframe that almost looks like a big tarp, and it's Mm -hmm. tight to your doorframe with a big fan. They get that to the appropriate CFMs for your square footage, and it's pretty cool because you can actually walk around to outlets and things like that or right around windows, and you can feel air pulling. Mm. Uh, what it's doing is depressurizing the house, and that would be the equivalent of a 15-mile-an-hour wind blowing on the outside wow. of your house. So when they depressurize it, it tells the tale of where you need the insulation and what you need to address. My dad used to go around the house with a Marlboro <laughs> and just hold it up to the doors oh, and the windows to see where yeah. there was airflow going through. Yeah. Well, what the energy auditor will do after you do the insulation upgrades is he'll come back and he'll show you just how much you fixed your house and just how much you've improved your air changes per hour. So, yeah, that's something that, that's totally worth the money. And uh, just that process of going through the energy audit and the insulation upgrades will pay big dividends down the road. And the poor man's way of uh, taking care of some of those leaks is basic insulation. You can buy like Lowe's, yep. a foam sealant. You think around the piping underneath the cabinets or the vanity in your bathroom. Mm-hmm. They're usually just cut out and they're never blocked. Things like that that you can do yourself that will help. Absolutely. What you were saying as far as uh, under cabinets, that's a, a super vulnerable spot. One thing that the heating and air guys have to take into account, and we don't really think about it, but I want to say it's around you have a 600 CFM hood over your cooktop. That's pulling air out of the house at a rapid rate. So if you don't have the fresh air introduction, a lot of these things, especially on a commercial setting, they will have an electronic damper. So when that hood kicks on, it sends a signal to the damper to open up. And then, of course, when you cut it off, the damper closes back. So unnecessary air isn't getting in there. But, yeah, just walking around under your cabinets, um, you know, around your windows, if you notice that it's always cold in that chair right by the window in the living room, you know, maybe one of these things where you have to get a pry bar and a razor knife, a hammer, and you pop that casing off around the window and then just a can of spray foam, and you could go one room at a time. Take mm-hmm. the trim off, spray foam around the window, get the low expansion version, by the way, or it will crush your windows. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, putting that in there, popping the trim back on, I mean, that's a half-day fix, and, and I really feel like you'll see the payback from just doing a few small things like that. All right, we'll put this information up on the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. Coming up next, and you can do this at the website, too, is Ask the Con- Contractor. If you have a question for Donnie of SureTop Roofing, go to thecarolinacontractor.com, click on the little button, ask your question. That's going to come up next on the Carolina Contractor Show. Hey, it's Eric Smith, co-host of the Carolina Contractor Show for SureTop Roofing. A brand new roof is even more affordable than ever. SureTop Roofing, your local GAF Master Elite certified roofer, now offers financing plans for as low as $85 a month. That's probably less than your internet or cell phone bill. With approved credit, you can finance that brand new roof for 10 years at 9.9%, and that includes warranties for up to 50 years. But this offer is only available from SureTop Roofing, so schedule your free estimate at SureTop Roofing. Com. That's SureTopRoofing.com. It's time for questions sent in from our listeners. Do you have one about your house? Submit it to TheCarolinaContractor.com. Hey, before we jump into the question, somebody just sent me a text, and uh, this guy listens to us every week, and uh, he just said, hey, you need to tell the folks about the Duke Energy Spreadsheet. So uh, the story there is about 12 years ago when we were doing the Energy Star thing, like we mentioned in segment one, um, I put together, this is before I had 15 children, you know, I had, I had a lot of time on my hands. But right. Duke Energy's price per kilowatt hour projections are right there on their website. So we just 
formulated a spreadsheet, and these are all hypothetical numbers, but we talked about if you build this way or if you build energy efficiently, uh, you can save. And we plugged in random numbers like a 1,000-square-foot house to show that you could save about $100 a month. And we plugged in a conservative number for their price per kilowatt hour projections. And this is kind of like a summary of everything we just talked about in segment one. But that number, that $100 turns into $150, $170 in 15 years and maybe even double that. So when you look at the spreadsheet, it basically shows – the more that you save every month, that end number uh, multiplies exponentially. So you get up in the 2,500, 3,000 plus square foot houses, you know, you're saving well over $100,000. And uh, when you see it on paper like that, it just connects the dots and it makes perfect sense. What I used to say is you either pay for your house once or you pay for it twice. I'll prefer to pay for it once. once. <laughs> you ready for questions, though? We got some we got to get through here. Yeah, hit me with it. If you have a question, hit the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. Click on the Ask the Contractor button. Question number one for Donnie is, how do we know if we need a humidifier or a dehumidifier? Yeah, this came in after we did the show on condition crawl spaces. And, of course, in a condition crawl space, you want to use a dehumidifier because uh, it's under the house. and um, You want it dry. You want it dry. And the humidifier, I really the only time I could – Justify using a humidifier inside the house is, is during the cold season. You know, that cold, dry air could stand a little bit of moisture introduced into it. And uh, you just have to be careful that you don't stop running your heating and air system while that's going on and maybe keep a bathroom vent going in some part of the house nearby because, you know, even though you're introducing that moisture, you still want to cycle it through your HVAC system or just get it out of the house. We actually just finished a commercial upfit on a sushi restaurant and uh, they had a problem because they wanted this vintage um, look with the exposed ductwork up top. And basically they had uh, on the opening week, they had a problem because the HVAC supply line ran from the back of the restaurant to the front and it ran right over top a section of booths. So they had to close these booths off because the ductwork was sweating. And we you don't want sweating ducks. No. <laughs> oh, duct. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> the uh, But what happened was they had uh, – it was a very simple fix. I went in there and looked at it, walked over to the thermostat, and basically they had their thermostat fan setting to on instead of on automatic. So Ooh. the fan the fan stayed on all the time. 24-7. What, right. Whether the air was being conditioned or dehumidified or whatever, it was uh, constantly pumping that air through the ductwork. So it wouldn't sweat so bad when the, the system was running and doing right. its thing with the, uh, the air and cooling it down. But uh, when it cycled off and met the – the target temperature on the thermostat, it continued to push that warm air through. So the warm air pushing through the duct caused a condensation to form, and I flipped the button, and uh, everybody felt like, wow, I hope I didn't just pay He's for a that. genius. <laughs> it, it didn't stop right away, but I called a couple hours later, and they said it worked like a charm. So um, that uh, that kind of goes along with something we mentioned a couple weeks ago. And a lot of people, when they design their HVAC system, they say, well, just oversize it. So I've, I've got plenty of heat and plenty of cool air, and mm-hmm. uh, that's a mistake because – what happens is in the summer months, it cools that air off so fast that it doesn't dehumidify the air, so you end up with too much humidity with an oversized unit. So a big unit will be going off and on constantly. All right, question number two for the Carolina contractor. What is the difference between OSB and plywood? I know, but I'll let you answer. <laughs> we get this question in the roofing world a lot because a lot of older homes have real plywood, and the people say, well, I want to make sure I go back with real plywood. But just a quick summary on the differences. OSB stands for Oriented Strand Board. And that's the one that looks kind of like wood chips and glue. Mm-hmm. And, and that's actually an engineered product. Uh, I was a little confused when I started out building in some of these eye joist and just engineered products that were introduced, you know, 15, 20 years ago uh, came on the scene because they look like OSB. It doesn't look very strong, but it's actually an engineered product. And um, 
when when you see the numbers on paper, you know it really stands up to the test. Mm-hmm. Um, real plywood, the acronym for that is CDX, and a lot of people confuse the X to mean exterior. It does not, but C and D are the surface quality. So one side of that plywood's a C. Flip it over, the other side's a D. Not so good. We only recommend using the the plywood or the OSB for that matter in situations where it's going to be covered. Neither gotcha. one can be exposed to moisture. The X is the type of the glue that bonds the veneers of the plywood together on CDX, and it can be introduced to moisture just a little bit, and it can dry out and still be okay structurally, but not the case with OSB. OSB actually uh, on paper is stronger than the CDX, but if you get it wet, it just basically comes to pieces. So right. um, the trade-off there or the downside of the plywood is uh, if it gets wet, it's notorious for buckling. So we we like and that warping exactly. Kind of look, yeah, the waves. We like the OSB under a roof because it just lays it lays flatter. And uh, I'd say ninety percent of the houses that are built now, you know, just have the OSB on the walls and the roof. Um, side note here: when we do columns or just outside structures for porches, uh, they have something out called MDO, stands for medium density overlay. So basically, it's an MDF product, and um, it, it's not real wood can be painted and it does stand up to moisture better than the other two alternatives with the CDX uh, that we mentioned. Uh, AC plywood was the slang for what we used to use for like a tapered column or something on the outside of the house. And of course, the A and the C stand for the surface quality similar to the CD, but AC are the AC plywood was about the best you could get. And let's yeah. go back to the MDO real quick, because mm-hmm. what people need to understand is your columns of your house, say you have a front porch, usually have Mm-hmm. metal beams or something, something and then they build wood around it and yep. it's usually some of the cheap wood that's lying around they'll yep. build these columns and if you notice you might look at your house today and go ah oh, i've got this problem the base of your column is rotting out yep because the water hits it with the rain it runs down there and that mdo will allow it to last much longer than just traditional plywood or scrap wood that they usually use right that's exactly right and uh, i'm a big fan of uh, fiber cement so you hear the slang hardy which is james hardy is mm-hmm. the uh, kind of the pioneer for the fiber cement board but as long as you're not doing a taper or anything like that what we do is we just put a treated six by six in there and we wrap that with hardy so it's bulky it's about an eight by eight when you're finished with it and um, it can't rot and so it's uh a foolproof, low-maintenance way to do that. Well, I'm a fan of Masonite myself. Yeah, I right. Think you should do everything on the outside of your house <laughs> with Masonite. I do not endorse that statement. <laughs> Question number three for the Carolina contractor. We've had a recurring roof leak for years that no one can seem to find. There's obvious wood replacement needed. Is it necessary to replace structural members in addition to the plywood? It's a case-by-case situation, but in this particular one, they had OSB. So, of course, the OSB had to be replaced on three sides of that chimney. However, when we opened it up, um, the rafters were in good shape. And normally what I see is when water is introduced somewhere that it's not supposed to be, uh, as long as that member is upright. So the rafters, of course, are upright and the OSB is laying horizontally on top of those. But as long as it's upright, any kind of water that contacts it uh, can't sit on it. So it just runs down the side of it and you have more water marks than damage. So this is another chimney leak that we successfully diagnosed. I think we were the fifth person to go out there and People look at you like you're crazy when you tell them that their brick can actually leak. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they point the finger at the flashing and the shingles. And uh, when you go out there, you explain that, you know, between the bricks, there's mortar. And mortar is much more porous than the brick itself. And, and what I see when I pull in a driveway even is there will be a chimney cap. And that chimney cap over time has formed a concave area. So when the water pools on there, it runs off the same side of the chimney. And if that's on the outside of the chimney and the chimney's on the side of the house, you probably never notice it because it doesn't make it inside. But if it's on the house side, uh, you may have water intrusion inside the house. And uh, 
it always seems to happen when we have two or three days worth of rain straight. So it saturates had, the brick. It saturates the brick. Uh, cool experiment that one of my professors did at App State is he took a solid cap block. So it was four by eight by 16. And he's just sitting there talking to us about it. And this was a basement wall example, but the same thing applies to the chimney. And the block got darker and darker gray. And we're thinking, what is this guy doing? So he says, okay, Donnie, you know, turn the water back on when I say go. He puts the hose right up to the side of the block. I turned the hose on full blast, and it shot out the other side like a magic trick. So Mm -hmm. like you just mentioned, once that block or once all the pores are saturated, it's one drop in, one drop out, you know, out meaning inside the house. Exactly. uh, That was exactly what was going on in this situation. But we got them a new chimney cap. Uh, We pressure washed the brick, sealed the brick off, and uh, uh, they should be good to go for another 50 years. Question number four. We made it to the end, Donnie. We recently filed a claim with our insurance company, and they said we had replacement cost coverage but only sent us a check and took a depreciation out. How does that work? So I'm assuming that they thought this is how much we're getting, but Mm -hmm. they took money out. The insurance company took Mm -hmm. money out before they sent the check. And what they didn't understand, I'll just go through the acronyms here, but um, replacement cost coverage is normally labeled as RCV, replacement cost value. And the other term is the ACV, which is the dollar amount that they got. That's the actual cash value after the, after the depreciation is removed. Mm -hmm. And when you have replacement cost coverage, the only reason they depreciate that is they make sure that you do the work, and then that rep- depreciation is called recoverable depreciation. So you actually get that money back. They just got freaked out because they didn't get it up front, and they didn't understand why the insurance company didn't pay them the whole thing. But gotcha. uh, the thing there is the insurance companies put a fail-safe in place just so they don't give you the whole check and you just run with the money mm-hmm. instead of fixing the – Go to Vegas. Uh, the prop- right. <laughs> instead of fixing the property, which is you know your property being a common interest of you and the bank, that's just the way that they cover themselves uh, – like you said, to make sure they don't run to Vegas. Mm -hmm. A situation that unfolded that relates to this is when I was working in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, uh, they made us run all these ITV reports because something came to their attention that there were a lot of people who were underinsured. An ITV report means insured to value. And so you run a quick square footage analysis on the house, and this is the agent's job. Uh, What the agent has to do is make sure that you carry enough coverage on that house to qualify for replacement cost, which is 80%. So if you have a $400,000 house, you have to at least have $320,000 of coverage on that house. Otherwise, you know, the depreciation isn't recoverable. And for folks who are underinsured, uh, you know, that could be a really big chunk if you had a, a total loss. Uh, mm-hmm. There were a lot of agents that were running for their lives from New Orleans after Katrina because, you know, they were expecting a half million dollars to rebuild their house and they only got half of that. Ooh. And so a lot of agents disappeared just, you know, uh, because it was their fault. They didn't stay on top of it. But I guess that's a, a shared responsibility, and, and you should always check your limits and kind of know what your house is worth and uh, just do some quick math to make sure that you're insured, you know, around 100% value, but 80% is the minimum. All right, that's a wrap. We thank you for tuning in, and be sure to connect with us on social media. You can find links to our Facebook and Instagram accounts and everything else at thecarolinacontractor.com. Have a great week. Hey, it's Eric Smith, co-host of the Carolina Contractor Show for SureTop Roofing. A brand new roof is even more affordable than ever. SureTop Roofing, your local GAF Master Elite certified roofer, now offers financing plans for as low as $85 a month. That's probably less than your internet or cell phone bill. With approved credit, you can finance that brand new roof for 10 years at 9.9%, and that includes warranties for up to 50 years. But this offer is only available from SureTop Roofing, so schedule your free estimate at SureTop Roofing. That's SureTopRoofing.com.